0: We're going to continue on in the best sermon ever, the Sermon on the Mount, as Jesus teaches and we look at it. So go to Matthew chapter 5, we're uh, finishing up uh, Matthew 5, we're almost there, wow, we've made a lot of progress, it's going to be 38 through 42. And I had trouble putting a title on a sermon, and you may not think that's a big deal, but for preacher folk, we like to have a title, right? And so I came up with I have rights, rights that really resonated with me. But then in parentheses, I had to go ahead and give a second one, go the second mile. So we're going to cover all that today. Does anyone have an itchy nose besides me in this place? Man, I tell you what, I tell you. And the, uh, the medicine is worse than the, the cure is worse than what you have because you just get dried out. And so if I start hacking, it's okay. I don't have the pandemic, okay? Just have a little, a little cold or whatever. So let's take a look at Matthew 5, 38 through 42. And um, let me talk for just a moment about the phrase. Have you heard it? Going the second mile. That phrase has its roots in first century Palestine, although it became popular again in our 20th century. Did any of you live back in the 20th century? Do you remember that? Yeah, there was a country song that came out, and it, it was more, instead of go the second mile, it was kind of called the extra mile, and I just saw that this week. Someone, I was watching or reading something, and they said going the extra mile, but going the second mile comes right out of first century Palestine. If you'll remember, the Romans were the big dogs then. They had conquered basically almost everything, and they had built a vast system of mega super highways. Did you know that? You just thought the interstate system came around with Eisenhower, didn't you? No. They had all these superhighways. In fact, did you know, they had approximately 50,000 miles of superhighways that they had built in their kingdom. And what is interesting is that each single mile, there was a stone marker. And these mile markers, if you will, pointed directions, that's good, and determined the distance to the next town as well as to Rome itself. Every single marker. Hence the term, you may have heard of this, all roads lead to Rome. Have you heard that? Well, that's where that comes from. And by law back then, a Roman citizen, or especially a soldier, could compel a subject from one of these conquered lands, of which Palestine was one, to carry his backpack, if you will, or his load, and to carry it for one mile but usually only for one mile. That was kind of the rule then. But we'll talk about that more in a moment later in the sermon. Another introductory item that I just want to mention today is the word rights. Have you heard of the word rights? Not right, but rights. And as we consider what we're looking at today, I think we need to know that today we live in a country where we are concerned about our rights. Would you agree with that? Would you say that we, we as a society are concerned about our rights? In fact, could we even say that we, at least our country, feel pretty proud about rights, right? Oh, we're not as bad as that country, fill in the blank, right? We're concerned about rights. In fact, I got to thinking, man, we have civil rights. We have women's rights. We have children's rights. We have workers' rights. We even have prisoners' rights. We have rights, 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 much more. And by the way, I am not saying I'm not for rights. I am for rights. I would like to have some rights myself, all right? Okay? If you live next door to me, I want certain rights. I want you to behave yourself and... You know, mow your weeds every now and then and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So we have rights, rights, rights. So I'm not against that. I don't want you to go out here thinking that I am. But I want us to realize today from the outset that what we are looking at, what we are seeing Jesus doing is he is taking our so-called rights and he's just, as he does, he's turning them upside down. It's a higher standard. It's something new. Best sermon ever, and he's just doing that. The big idea today is this. I want you to consider this this today as I'm talking, is this. We must reevaluate our rights if, here's the conditional statement, we are to follow what Jesus instruct us to do. I could say it this way, if you want to follow what Jesus instructs you and me to do, we need to consider reevaluating our rights and how we respond and how we react and how we live. Okay, preacher, so how does one who is indwelt with the Holy Spirit react to personal offenses? Anybody ever been personally offended in here? A bunch of liars in here. Every single one of you in your lifetime has been personally offended. And then we won't even get into second offenses when something happens to the kiddo and then mama gets involved. Oh my goodness. Yes. So what do we do? We're we're indwelled by God's Holy Spirit. We're a disciple. We're a follower of Christ. Well, I could tell you this. What we don't do is react the way our world reacts, which is fight back. Get revenge. Have you heard of that word? Revenge. That's what our world does. It's as if our country's motto has been changed. It's now, I want mine. I don't care what's going on. I want mine. I want mine. This is a problem. Listen to James chapter 4, verses 1, the first part of verse 2. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come, it's rhetorical by the way, don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. I want mine. But there is a better way. We're going to see the alternative today. So let's look at verses 38 through 42. Matthew chapter 5. Jesus speaking. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. As for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, let him have your coat as well. And if someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two. Give to the one who asks you and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Let's pray. God, speak to us today. Transform our thoughts and our attitudes. Remind us of this better way, this higher standard. May we seek you, may we follow you more and more. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. So let's look at my first point. I've got four points today. Number one is go the second mile when attacked. So let's look at verse 38 again. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So here in this verse, Jesus quotes from three Old Testament passages, passages Exodus 21, 24, Leviticus 24, 20, and Deuteronomy 19, 21. And this quote represents one of the oldest well-known laws in the world. Did you know that? It's known as the law of retaliation. We got, it, we got them all over in, in, in our court system as well, okay? But here's the problem. These ori- the original hearers of, of what Jesus was saying here, uh, in, the, in that time, the, the Jews, unfortunately, had turned the law into grounds for private resentment, which was fueled by a vindictive spirit, uh, a special kind of revenge taken to the extreme. This is what they had done with this this law. In essence, uh, paving the way for actually more evil to be repaid than what had been received. This happened to me, but let me exact even more. Do you see the problem? They took a good law and made it merciless by not limiting the vengeance of the punisher here's the problem then and now here's the problem you ready and I'm not a sociologist but I've been around people for many decades here's the problem human vengeance is never satisfied hear me human vengeance is never satisfied Justice is not enough. Vengeance wants a pound of flesh for an ounce of offense. And maybe you've been there before. I have. You've been fired up ever? I have. But note something. Scripture is clear and this passage is repeated and quoted over and over in Scripture. God restricts vengeance at least how I read my Bible to himself. God restricts Vengeance to himself. We're going to jump back and forth in Romans 12, a lot of different verses. Let me start with Romans 12, 19. Listen to these words. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, and you've heard of it before, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Listen to Hebrews 10:30. For we know the one, talking about God, for we know the one who said, I will take revenge. I will pay them back. He also said, the Lord will judge his own people. You see, human vengeance is never satisfied. We just want to take that pound of flesh. But God says, I am the one who deals with this. By the way, just as a side, vengeance can also consume you. I don't know if you've experienced that. You may know someone. You may have a family member that's dealing with it right now. It can consume us. I've talked with people, and in fact, this year I've talked with people, and you can just see it. They they keep going back to this, my right, I've been wrong this and everything goes to that quickly and there's never any talk about anything else but that it's as if it consumes us and we know what can happen we know that what the Bible says about bitterness about a root of bitterness coming up inside us and taking over so we've got to really be careful and then we get to verse 39 and we see Jesus gives us the higher standard he said remember he's he's saying here these six antithesis is this that uh, you've been told this let me tell you this now And we recall a hallmark of the Sermon on the Mount is this, Jesus did not come to destroy the law, but what? To fulfill it, to take it to its intended completion, to complete it, to take it where it needs to go. And so in verse 39, he says, but I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Interesting. In verse 39, we get the higher standard. Let me tell you what Jesus is not saying, because I have been as a preacher. I've been surprised how many times you preach your little heart out, and then you go outside or you go stunt somewhere, and someone comes up and says something to you or sends you a text, and it is exactly maybe you didn't speak to that, but you realize in the amount of time we have, we can't speak to every little issue and side issue, right? You know, I could give us 100 scriptures today, we, we don't have time to do quite that many, okay? So let me help you what this is not saying, so you don't come ask me, well, what about this? All right, here you go, you ready? What Jesus is not saying is that we are to be doormats. Don't go out of here saying that. Nowhere does it say, just roll over and die, let them just get all over you, let them just trash you and, and squash you in the ground. He's not saying that. Jesus is also not saying that we are to encourage evil. That's not the word. Did you see that there? The word is don't resist, but it it, it doesn't say that we just encourage it. Jesus is also not saying that we are to let the crime go unreported. Nowhere does it say that, okay? He's not saying we are to yield to sinful temptations, just throw our hands up and give up. He's not saying that at all. And he's not saying that we are to be pacifists. It doesn't say that in this passage. He's not saying we are to be against the police. He's not saying we are to be against soldiers. He's not even saying that church discipline is wrong. He's not saying any of those things, and we need to see that. Because sometimes we have baggage and we read a phrase and then we go ahead and interpret it based on our experience. But what Jesus does do is he explains something here. He explains, I think, indirectly, and then we get directly in a minute, that this remember this law of retaliation? This principle was there to guide the courts in determining appropriate punishments. Makes sense, doesn't it? What, what he's saying is it was not there for someone's personal vengeance, for someone's personal revenge. He's saying, wait a minute. You're not doing it right. Look. And it's interesting to note that the example he gives is the slap on the right cheek, right? I thought about having a volunteer up here today. Because <laughs> I want to tell you a little bit about that. They knew exactly what he was talking about. We think we know what he was talking about, but we really don't. They knew exactly. So, man, I should have had, I should have had some Troy, I should have had you come up, man. He's big and I could get away with it, right? Okay, so just picture Troy is standing here and if he's looking at me, where's his right cheek? On this side, right? And his left is on this side, okay? Most people then were right-handed. Open hand slap, what cheek? Left, are you staying with me? Some of y'all, I've already lost you, you're going, I'm not good at geometry, this is not geometry, okay? What they knew about and what happened back then, the the most offensive, the most insulting, the most injurious thing would be the slap, but it's a backhanded slap. You've seen it in the movies maybe, right? Someone took a glove and went. So think about it. Troy is right here. Right cheek, right? Smack. That was offensive. This maybe just hurt, but that backhanded slap to the right cheek, because most people were right-handed was insulting and injurious. And it's interesting to note, for this act of doing that, Jewish law imposed a fine that was double for the fine for the open-handed blow to the left cheek. I'm not making it up. You see that? Double. This is significant. So what we see is that Jesus urged his disciples not to seek vengeance, even if they were given the most offensive blow kind of blow. When Jesus spoke of being slapped on the right cheek, he was describing especially an insult that comes from one's faith. If you look at this, he knew his followers have already, were already receiving this. And he's saying, watch out for that. In fact, he's saying, instead of seeking legal satisfaction, lovingly absorb the insult, hurt, pain, rejection, abuse. But I want to say more. I I don't think Jesus is just talking about physically somebody walks by and whacks you. Okay, I want us to see something here. I think the turning of our cheek, if you will, is more of an illustration of a principle to live by than a literal action. I can't think of the last time I received an open-handed slap to my right cheek. Can you? Maybe you can I remember last time I got punched in the face, it was a long time ago, and the law of retaliation kicked in, by the way, (laughs) okay, couldn't, I couldn't preach this sermon back then, because it, I'd have had to get right down there, okay? Yeah, so, but, but if you will think of it, don't just think of it, well, I, this doesn't apply to me. I've not been slapped. No, it's more of a principle of how we're supposed to live than this literal action. And remember, those folks, they were taking the law way beyond that. Vengeance, vengeance, vengeance. You see, it's more of an attitude of your heart than a physical posture. I think what Jesus teaches us shows the opposite of retaliation. Let's go back to Romans 12 again for a minute, this time verse 17. Listen to it. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Try to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. So we we go the second mile when attacked. Secondly, go the second mile when accused, verse 40. Let's look at it. As for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, let him have your coat as well. Boy, pretty blunt and to the point. So Jesus goes further. Now we consider not when we have been wronged, but I think when we are in the wrong. Have you ever been in the wrong? Catch this here. They did not have frivolous lawsuits back then. That was very rare. They were not litigious like we are today. I'm still reminded by the, the, uh, the lady who went through the McDonald's drive-thru and spilled a coffee on herself, right? First of all, what do they tell us all the time? Don't drink and drive, right? And she, you know, she couldn't get out of there and, and burn herself, and she had this lawsuit when it says, caution, contents may be hot, and logically put it in your cup holder and drive. Don't just sit there and get it all over you, and she actually won the lawsuit, but then, I believe. Paul helped me out. I think it got overturned and she didn't get all that. But it's just, it could be anything from hot coffee and anything. It's just how we kind of are. But it wasn't the case so much back then. It was the idea, and they knew that, hey, you've been in the wrong. Someone's come after you, sir. The lawsuit here is describing one that probably was legitimate. The plaintiff was probably going to win. You people were probably going to lose. And Jesus says something, if I may paraphrase, instead of losing your shirt, don't be upset. Instead of losing your shirt and getting upset, seek reconciliation. Well, how do we seek reconciliation? Right here, we go beyond the legal requirement. Did you catch that? We go beyond it. We are more upstanding than others. We are Christ followers. And instead of just saying, oh, I'm going to lose and I'm going to hate you and I'm going to figure out how to get back at you. No. Make amends. Seek reconciliation. Here the idea is not just your inner garment. Did you catch that? Your shirt? Okay, that was allowed by law. Jesus spoke that. They knew exactly what he's talking about. That was what the law allowed. But what Jesus is saying, No. Give them also your most essential piece of clothing, the cloak or the outer garment, the one that provides you warmth, the one that could double as a blanket or a pillow or whatever. He says, go further, make amends, reconcile. Don't just give what the law allows, but here, give them that as well. It's interesting to note that Jewish law exempted the outer robe, if you will, from seizure by the courts. I knew how important that was. People didn't have a lot of stuff back then. That was really important. And yet Jesus is basically saying, strip it off, give it to them. Verse 40. Do you see the object lesson that Jesus is giving? Do you see how it even applies to us today? Now, we don't have exactly clothing like that, and we don't have laws exactly like that, but Judge Judy doesn't even, I don't think. Yeah. Again, back to Romans chapter 12, this time verse 10, instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. There's more. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Okay, wait a minute, Lamar, that, does not, <laughs> that doesn't sound like reconciliation, that sounds like revenge. No, if we are so upstanding and, and so about reconciliation, if we are so about not our rights, but seeking amends of doing everything we can to live rightly and honorably with not just brothers and sisters in Christ, but with our world, you see what happens there is it basically, quit worrying about heaping coals on your head, okay, literally think of it this way. It causes them to ponder, does it not? It causes them to go, look at how I've been acting. It's shameful. There is a better way. Look at how that guy or that gal is acting. You see, church, we, every time this happens, we have an opportunity to be a strong example to others through reconciliation. Let's move on. Number three, go the second mile when taken advantage of, when someone takes advantage of you. So we're back to the second mile now, we've come full circle to the introduction. Look at verse 41, and if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two. These are succinct little principles, are they not? Jesus now is not speaking about the law of retaliation, Jesus is speaking now about the law of compulsion, which I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon. The Roman mile, uh, generally it's believed that was a thousand paces. And Jews knew, as as conquered people, they knew this too well. They knew exactly how many paces they were going to have to go. And they hated it. They hated the very mention of it. I'm sure when Jesus said that, uh, the hair on the back of their neck bristled up. Especially when a soldier asked him to do that. And poked him along with the sword or the spear and who knows what was said. You know, they were spit upon. All kinds of things happened. We catch a little glimpse of this law of compulsion. Do you remember when Jesus was headed to the cross? Do you remember? He, he was beaten to which, within an ounce of his life. I mean, his back was shredded. Just the crown of thorns, you name it, has gotten. He couldn't carry that cross anymore. Did a soldier grab it? No. The law of compulsion kicks in matthew 27 32 as they were going out they found a cyrenian man named do you remember his name simon and they scripture says they forced this man to carry jesus's cross law of compulsion jesus again here teaches a higher standard for his followers jesus tells his disciples and tells us today that we should carry, that y- you should carry the, your oppressor's pack out of obligation for the first mile. Hear me. It's the law, right? Should we not be law abiding? Yes. So out of obligation, you carry it for the first mile. But then what I want you to do is exceed all expectations by going the second mile. And you're now not doing it out of obligation, but you're doing it out of love and service. Do you see how this could be winsome to someone? Do you see how this could cause someone to stop and say, wait a minute, that guy, that gal, something's different about them. I need to check into this. Think about it for a minute. Obligation, the first mile, exceed all expectations with the second mile. Why? Because it's full of love and service. See again, Jesus is not speaking about the actual act so much. He's not saying, "Hey, you went the second mile like we do sometimes." We think of extra effort, don't we? I went the second mile. I am tough. I, I I've got stamina. Listen, I had an electrical job at my house that was supposed to take, I thought, an hour, an hour and a half. I went the second mile, the third mile, the fourth mile, and the fifth hour. That's not what it's talking about. I was so glad. I got it done. I went to flip the lights back on. Nothing blew up. The lights came on. It was amazing. And I turned everything on and everything on that circuit. And nothing went off. It didn't trip the breaker. And I'm like, yes, extra now. No, it's it's, it's thinking more about being willing to do this, are you ready, without complaining. Well, I went the second mile with that guy. What a pain, man. It messed up my whole schedule. Don't even do it. That's not what he's talking about. It's an act of love and service. Do you see the vast difference between obligation and love and service? Do you? I'm looking around, see if there's any heads nodding. It's a big difference. It's a big contrast for us to see today. Let me ask you a tough question this morning. You ready? Do you have a one-mile-only attitude? Don't answer. Think about it. Well, of course not. Wait a minute. Evaluate yourself. Do you have a one-mile-only attitude? You know, several Christians have this attitude. They will only do what they must do. I will read my Bible this morning because I know I'm supposed to read my Bible. And I'm gonna read these verses and I'm done. I forget how it applies to my life, you know? They do what they must do. I'm here today. I guarantee there's some folks here today that are probably here today out of obligation. God, help you. There's so much more that you're missing out on. It's not an obligation. Yes, it's a command not to forsake the assembling of ourselves, but there's so much more to being part of the family. So they do only what they must do. They don't do one thing more. They want to do anything extra unless there's a bonus or benefit for them. Workday's coming up. It's not in my notes. September 10th. All right? It is a great opportunity to go the second mile to come, and there is no benefit or whatever to join me on hands and knees pulling weeds over by the mission field or whatever we're going to be doing, okay? It's just an example. I'm not trying to compel you to do that because if you come out of obligation, you miss the point, okay? Often we will go an extra if there's a benefit for us. Not what Jesus is talking about. We sometimes see this in the lack of Christian servants in the church. Are you aware of that? No church on the planet ought to have to beg. We need more people in the kids department. We need more people helping in the student department. We need more Sunday school teachers. We need more of this, this, and that. We have Roundup coming up. We need people to help. The church, not just town any local church should never have to beg because there should be people that are willing, without benefit or bonus to them, to go the second mile. And it's not about extra effort. It's about attitude. It's about... I'm going to come and serve in love and be a good servant. That happens sometimes. Sometimes we see it in the daily quiet times, I've already mentioned that. Sometimes we see it in mission endeavors. I often see it in evangelistic endeavors. Oh, we're all about it if it's a a family member or we know someone's not going to say, get away from me, I don't want to hear about this Jesus. And so we don't have that extra effort when it comes to evangelistic conversations. Listen, Jesus attacks this attitude here in this verse. He's working in our lives. He's working. Do you know Jesus is working today to help defeat our selfishness? And Jesus is working today. Here's some good news for you. Jesus is working in my life and your life today to develop in me and in you a supernatural concern for others. Did you know that? And I've taken all the spiritual gifts tests that there are on the planet. Have you? And I'm sorry, I got a negative score one time on the gift of mercy. I don't know how. I was like, <laughs> and my, my wife, this is a great sermon. If she was here today, she'd be going, amen, 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 right? She, mercy off the charts for her. Second mile, no big deal. For me, big deal, right? So, I mean, I mean think about it. Jesus is working right now especially for those of us who need it, to develop this supernatural concern for others. And he goes even further, even for, are you ready, oppressors, and even for enemies, as you look at this entire paragraph. Ponder for a moment, church, with me, what God can do in our lives. Is that exciting to you? Let's quit worrying about the promise of heaven. It's out there. Let, face to face with Jesus, yes. But what he can do in our lives today. The possibilities of this week. It's amazing. It's so encouraging. Listen closely to these verses. I'm going to read you a few verses. Psalm 37:7. Be silent before the Lord and wait expectantly for him. Do not be agitated by one who prospers in his way. By the man who carries out evil plans. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Consider it great joy or pure joy, my brothers, whenever you experience various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. But endurance must do its complete work so that you and me may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Back to Romans 12 again, verse 12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation and be constant in prayer. And finally, Galatians 6, 9. So we must not get tired of doing good. For we will, re- we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. That's one of those verses that reminds me there's no retirement From Christian service. It's conditional. I'm going to reap all that stuff. Yeah, I've been doing good. No, not if you gave up. Stay with it. Let's do the fourth and final point, verse 42. Go the second mile when your assistance is needed. Jesus says, give to the one who asks you and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Jesus concludes this passage by requiring us to help others in their time of need. That's what I want you to see here. People, have you ever been there? People sometimes have times of need. And notice that this entire paragraph, all these verses we looked at today, the entirety of it, they speak toward, against vengeance, against retaliation. So not only are we to help others uh, in their time of need, but we should even be willing to help our opponents in their time of need. Or, as they knew well back then, our oppressors in their time of need. And it says there that we're to give. Now, of course, I'm not going to do a a tithing sermon. Don't worry. Okay? But, of course, we who are followers of of Jesus and we're working at it, um, we give our tithes and offerings. But there are also times that God gives us in our lives to directly help individuals. Is there not? that has nothing to do with the local church or with missions around the world or all this kind of stuff, all right? We get those opportunities to directly be involved in an individual's life. Now, let me say what Jesus is not saying, because you'll ask me when we leave today, Jesus is not saying that you are required to help and respond to every foolish, selfish request. The, the word is not in there, okay? However, I don't think that's the problem. Most of us use that as an excuse to help anyone. Hello? I'm just going to step back for a minute. Well, no, this, they're that way because of whatever. And then we use that excuse not to help anyone. No, maybe the Lord doesn't lead us to help that individual on that corner or someone we meet in the grocery store or someone in our neighborhood, but that doesn't mean he's not going to give you an opportunity to help someone else. So we need to be aware of that. Even someone that we don't agree with their lifestyle, or or maybe they're uh, against God's word even, we get the opportunity to help them. We know the Bible calls people infidels, you know, if they don't provide for their own, we know all those verses, but what we're talking about here is the opportunity to help someone in a time of need. Have you considered this, that when helping someone in their time of need, you might help restore a broken relationship? That when helping someone in their time of need, you might help heal something in their life. You see why I say it's an opportunity? And we might miss that. Again, let me go back to Romans 12, verse 21 this time. Listen. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. Hmm. So I would just tell you, When you consider going the second mile when your assistance is needed that you ask God for wisdom and discernment. But don't stop there. How many times do Christians ask God for wisdom and discernment and then they don't ever act? And then act. What good is wisdom and discernment if we don't act? I'm going to close in this way today. I've heard it said, I've heard this said, listen to this statement. Perhaps the most important trip you will ever make is going the second mile. Think about that for a minute. I want to challenge us today. Instead of demanding our rights, may God develop in us a God-saturated patience with others, and that God may help us to move away from vengeance as we wait on his working in us. Waiting is not bad. He who began a good work in you, right? He's going to complete it. Now, not until time's done, right? but that he's working on it, and he's doing something in our lives. Waiting's OK. You remember Moses? He waited 40 years. Joseph waited 13 years. Noah waited. Do any of you remember? 100 and. Twenty years. Abraham waited 25 years. David waited 12 years. We can go on and on. Listen, we are in good company. Let us seek God and let him lead us to this higher standard. This morning as I was going over the sermon again, spending time with the Lord, he reminded me of two um, parables, if you will, in uh, Luke. Do you remember Luke chapter 10? The parable of the good Samaritan, God just got right in my face and said, opportunity, opportunity, opportunity. You remember the priest went, guy got worked over. The guy, he, obviously, it's the setting of the good Samaritan is on the streets of Albuquerque. We know that, right? <laughs> Somebody got mugged and beat up, right? Everything taken. The, le- uh, the priest, right, goes right by. The Levite, the temple worker, the leader, goes right by. And it's the despised what the Jews called the half-breed, the Samaritan that stopped. So God reminded me of that, hey, opportunity, don't miss it. And then later on in Luke, chapter 15, we see the parable, perhaps the most famous, the parable of the prodigal son. And the part of Scripture, it's, it's a pretty long passage that jumps out at me always is this, the father saw him. When the guy spent everything. When the guy was with the pigs, when the guy had done er everything you can think of that would offend you, this is even more than going clubbing, okay? Everything that he could have done, he decides to return just to see, hey, maybe I can just work for dad. I'll just be a laborer. And the scripture says the father saw him. Do you remember it? And he was filled with compassion. There's no law of compulsion there. There's no law of retaliation there. What a picture of what Jesus is teaching here for us to see. And I would ask you, what are you seeking today? Are you seeking vengeance today? Are you seeking retaliation? Are you consumed with vengeance? Are you consumed with your rights? Jesus says there's a better way. And I must tell you, in thinking about the prodigal son parable, that the most important thing you can seek today is what we call salvation, repenting, turning from our way of life, our sin, and running to Jesus and saying, I acknowledge I'm a sinner. I believe what you said in your word. That I can turn to you, that you have the power, because of the cross and resurrection, to forgive me, to cleanse me, to come in and rule and reign in my life. It's a better way. We call that being saved, don't we? We call that salvation. All of those mistakes we've made, all of whatever is keeping us from whatever, we can give that and ask forgiveness and true and true repentance and a true one eighty degree turn. Run to God, and He is faithful to save us if we're sincere. You know, that prodigal son parable is a picture of that. The father in the story is God. The troubled son who did everything you can imagine is us. And he waits, and he watches, and he is filled with compassion. We call it grace and mercy, don't we? and He is ready to inflict upon you the greatest act of love that you will ever know, the greatest miracle uh, that will ever happen in your life, and that is He has the power to come in and save you and forgive you and be your Savior and your Lord. Have you done that? If not, why not today? If, you have, if that has happened to you and you... You consider yourself to be a disciple, a follower of Christ. Hey, what are we seeking? What are we seeking? We got the big thing out of the way, but we're missing some of the little things. And Jesus speaks that to here. Are we seeking reality? Are we seeking retaliation? How about reconciliation? Are we seeking evil or repayment? How about love? Go in the second mile. It's a principle. It's a great attitude for us to have and to live out. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for these these verses. Well, they are short and to the point. And I pray, God, that we would we would not make excuses. We would not put conditions on Your words. We would instead. Desire to have you work in our lives so that we may follow you fully. I pray for those who are not believers here today that they would consider right now turning to you. They're not listening by accident, whether in this room or online, but you have a divine appointment for them, and you are right by their side, ready and willing to save. God, give them the faith to turn to you. God, help those of us who claim to be Christians that we would live that way, even in difficult circumstances, that people would see that we're not just people of the way, but of a better way. So God, help us. Speak to us today in these quiet moments. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.